to Season 2 of Area 51 and a Half Aliens. We are here to talk about science fiction, fantasy, horror, and all things pop culture. I'm your host, John Allen, also known as Spooky Uncle John. With me, as always, is my co-host. Snyderman501, Nick Snyder. We are kicking off our second season in a big way. A little later on, we're going to be joined by a very special guest. But first... It's October, and the Halloween season has begun. It started with a bang with the premiere of Rob Zombie's The Munsters, which is available on Netflix, Blu-ray, and DVD. It's not on Netflix Canada, but fear not. It can be rented or purchased from Amazon Prime. Second, Disney released the long-awaited sequel, Hocus Pocus 2, on Disney+, and fans are loving it. We're going to talk about both projects a little later on, but first, it's time for Nick's Roundup. To start off this episode's roundup, we have a bit of sad news coming out of the music industry. Coolio, the rapper known for Gangsta's Paradise, has passed away at the age of 59 from cardiac arrest. That is sad news because I know he was really influential on that scene. Yes, he was. Uh, another bit of sad news. Oh, I don't know if it's really sad, but Trevor Noah is leaving The Daily Show after seven years of hosting duties. No replacement has been mentioned yet, but... So this is going to be his final season. I guess so, yeah. It looks that way. I hope he's. it's because he's moving on to something else. Yeah, not- yeah. I, I think that is probably the case. But I do hope they choose a new host that has the same kind of pedigree as Trevor Noah and, of course, Jon Stewart. Uh, moving on to movie news. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes has been announced. So that's a new Apes movie coming out following up the last trilogy. Uh, no real casting news come out of it yet, but I'm I'm looking forward to it. I really enjoyed those movies. Yeah, I imagine Andy Serkis will be back. I do hope so, but we'll see. Listen, this was a great new trilogy bouncing off of the original series. I'm excited for it. Me too. And I, I really like that trilogy, and I think the way they did it was the right way to do it. Now, another bit of movie news. We have, well... The Prophecy was always six seasons in a movie, and if you are a fan of Community, we have that movie coming down the pipeline soon. The entire cast is returning. That should be interesting, all things considered with Chevy Chase. But anyway, I'm excited for that. I love Community. I I love Donald Glover and Dan, Danny Pudi, and I'm just looking forward to seeing them back again. Um, and of course, news coming out of Disney+. Plus. Armor Wars, the uh, the Don Cheadle-led TV show that's kind of his uh, his solo run as War Machine Rhodey, uh, that is now being made into a movie instead of a TV show. No idea what prompted that decision, but it should be good. Essentially, it's going to be Iron Man for Armor Wars. You know what? I'm glad that it's going to be a movie because I think I would rather it be that than another TV series. Because honestly, the TV series outside of WandaVision and Loki... Uh, and She-Hulk now. Yeah. She, She-Hulk's different because it's more of a sitcom kind of thing. They haven't really grabbed me. I, I can understand. I've enjoyed all of them for different reasons and to a certain extent. But honestly, I'm just looking forward to seeing some more Iron Man style action on the big screen. Absolutely. Now, if you are a fan of Avatar The Last Airbender, do I have some news for you? So we have the live action television show coming out. And we got some casting news. That cast includes George Takei, Amber Mid-Thunder from Prey will be in it, and of course, 
Daniel Day Kim has been cast as the main villain, Fire Lord Ozai. And he has some big shoes to fill because originally it was Mark Hamill voicing him. I am so excited for this project. I like all of these three actors. I'm not an Airbender fan. I haven't really watched any of it, to be honest. Not really something that I was focused on. But this cast excites me enough that I would want to see it. And this is kind of the neat thing about the cast. This is actually George Takei returning to this franchise because he has voiced characters in uh, Last Last Airbender as well as Legend of Korra. So I'm excited. And finally, John, we're going to talk about the big thing that was announced from Marvel. Well, actually announced from Ryan Reynolds over the past couple weeks. Yeah, and if you've been living under a rock, maybe you haven't seen this uh, teaser. We got Deadpool 3. And we got Wolverine back. We got we got Hugh Jackman back as Wolverine. And I'm so excited. Oh, I am too. I have loved everything that Hugh Jackman has done with the character. Even the bad scripts. The solo acts. But I think that he has been a great Wolverine. It is nice to see him back playing this character. And the best part is just the teaser, the way they did it, where he's like, hey, Hugh, you you want to play Wolverine again? Yeah, sure. <laughs> I love that. That was so funny. I, honestly, whenever Ryan Reynolds does the viral marketing for Deadpool, anytime it is, it's a treat. You know, Ryan Reynolds is a, a homegrown boy here in Canada. We yep. we love him. We love his philanthropic work. The fact that he we mentioned last season that he got the Order of Canada yeah. for all of this kind of stuff. He is just one of those celebrities that you just naturally love. And now that he can't spar with Betty White because she sadly oh, passed away at the start of the year, it's kind of fun that he's sparring with Hugh Jackman. Yeah, now... And, and here's the thing, like we could do an entire episode on just Deadpool and his entry into the Marvel Universe, uh, well the Marvel Cinematic Universe, and maybe we will in the future. But there's so many things I want to see from this, like I really want to see Ryan Reynolds' Deadpool uh, mix it up with Tom Holland's Spider-Man, for, yeah. for example. There's all kinds example. of things that can happen with this, and I'm just glad that it's finally happening somebody had mentioned on one of the social medias that wouldn't it be great to see deadpool just clicking on a file and bringing it over from sony into into disney plus or marvel yes yes i'm here for all of it yeah and it's so exciting it's honestly this is the most exciting thing to come out of marvel since uh, infinity war Well, aliens, as I said, it's the beginning of Halloween season and the end of our Rob Zombie's The Munsters Countdown, the prequel story of how Herman Met Lily premiered last week. Nick, would you consider me to be an expert on the classic sitcom? I would definitely say you're more than an expert, yes. Well, Nick, I found someone for us to talk to who knows even more than I do. Please welcome to Area 51 and a half, Eddie Munster himself, Butch Patrick. Hello, guys. How are ya? Good. Doing How great. are you doing, Butch? I'm doing great. Have you guys ever, actually ever been to Area 51? Uh, I was close. I went to Las Vegas, but we <laughs> uh, took a tour of the Grand Canyon instead of going to Area 51. <laughs> probably a wise thing. <laughs> yeah, I probably should have. So, Butch, like we said, uh, you know more about the Munsters than just about anybody uh, because you were Eddie Munster. How did you wind up becoming Eddie Munster? 
Oh, uh, well, I had, you know, started acting when, when I was seven years old, 1960. Uh, I did a series called General Hospital, uh, the first episode it was ever on. Then I did a Year of the Real McCoys, uh, the last Year of the Real McCoys, and a lot of other guest starring roles before the Munsters came on. And um, they had hired a uh, another mom and another kid, uh, Joan Marshall and Happy Derman, uh, and the network saw the pilot and they greenlighted the pilot but they wanted to change out the uh, the par- the 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 character from Phoebe to Lily and brought in Yvonne DiCarlo and then my agent got them to uh fly me out from Illinois where I was living with my grandmother to uh to screen test with Yvonne DiCarlo for the role of Eddie and they hired me on the spot and uh my mom had moved to the East Coast with my stepfather, the baseball player, when he was traded from the Angels to the Senators. Oh, wow. So I lived with my uncle and hired a woman to take me to work. So the next two years of uh, filming the Munsters, I was actually with, with my TV family more than my regular family. Yeah, and you know, no shade to Joan Marshall or Happy Derman, but I think that they kind of made the right choice because I think the chemistry amongst your cast was phenomenal. Well, that that's that's true. It, it worked out well for everybody. But we also gained uh, some star power with Yvonne DiCarlo's name recognition and her being a a movie star uh, coming back into television. And she did a and she did a phenomenal job as well. But she has some name recognition. Nothing against Joan, but she was not an Yvonne DiCarlo. No, and you know nobody really is. I mean, she was uh, a fantastic actress, beautiful woman, and I've enjoyed everything I've seen her in. That even that isn't the monsters. No, she was very talented, singer, dancer, uh, very, you know, very old school Hollywood royalty. Uh, it was wonderful. She was, she added a, a really good dimension. Uh, Fred and Al had it had res- reservations about her because they thought that she couldn't do comedy. And then as a matter of fact, she did very good comedy. Yeah, I remember her, there was a scene that she was, I can't remember the name of the movie, but it was a scene where I think she was starring with John Wayne. And there's uh, this whole comedic scene on the stairwell. Yeah, it's uh, McClintock. Yes. Fat, just fantastic in that. Now, um, Fred Gwynn and Al Lewis had worked together on Car 54, Where Are You? Which is a seems to be a running gag in the Monsters. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, had anybody else worked together before? Um Mm-hmm. Uh, not to my knowledge, no. I I, I don't I don't think so. Uh, Fred was just um a serious actor theater actor but uh, when he did the 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 uh the the nat hike and see the the people that did um the uh car 54 where are you were like really like a-list writers from from the east coast and fred and al being new yorkers as well so there was kind of like an east coast writing ensemble that created that show and then when they went to the west coast to do the monsters obviously they brought a lot of that stuff with them so they had the best of both worlds the the New York type of uh, a camp to, uh, to to work from and gone to Hollywood. So it worked out well. So something I've always wondered about, um, just because I, I, I'm always interested in actors' points of view, what was it like growing up on what I would imagine is a fairly fun set with not just all the craziness of the monsters, but with Fred Gwynn and Al Lewis on set as well? Um, well, the show was unusual for several reasons number one it was truly a unique one-off show there was nothing like it and never will never had been never will be 
uh, it was very unique in that respect. And the the powers that be, it's like a perfect storm. Uh, you had the Universal Studios, which was the monster studio in the, 30, in the late 30s and 40s and early 50s, doing these fabulous Dracula, Frankenstein, Wolfman, Mummy, you know, creature. The, 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 all the great classic horror movies were done at Universal. Uh, and they had that down, so they utilized that look and that feel and the sets and all the production values that they could to let the monsters look like a movie uh, film, it was it was mm-hmm. shot on film, it was lit, and it was and the and the sets were dressed like it was a movie. So that was great. And then you had the very successful writers of Leave It to Beaver, who and prior to that had done Amos and Andy, and you know, so they did the monsters. And Leave It to Beaver was a very groundbreaking show in itself because it was the first sitcom <coughs> actually written from a kid's point of view. About the, it was about Wally and and the Beave more so than it was about Ward and June. They were they were the secondary characters and the leads were the kids. So that was an interesting spin, <clears throat> and the, and to tie those two together and mush them together and then have this fabulous. Uh, there, there wasn't really a weak link in it. The makeup was great. The special effects were great. The music was great, and and there wasn't anything that wasn't top notch and that's kind of why the the show's probably done so well the the cast was good yeah i mean it worked very well for the cast too but there was a lot of production value that supported us so when you were in the show as addy obviously there's some makeup going on there yeah what was the makeup process like as a kid and how did like have you done any movies more recently where the makeup process is a little more more to endure and what's kind of like what's the the big difference there um well no i've never really done any other movies uh with any kind of makeup uh to that extent and and mine really wasn't very bad we only were we were only we were only in makeup three days a week monday was a read day no makeup very short day uh, maybe two hours uh uh, tuesday was a four-hour rehearsal day for the camera and the director, because we had different directors that would come on, so they would go onto the set and, and block the uh, the scenes out so it would move smoothly for Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday to make sure they finished on time. Um, my makeup was an hour a day. I could actually do it myself if I had to, uh, which I did occasionally once in a while when I would do uh, personal appearances on the road. Fred's was two hours a day, but, excuse me, by today's standards for some of the over the top crazy uh, makeup situations. There have been some like, you know, the Wolfman back in the day, he, that was a six, seven hour process yeah. for, Lon yeah. Cheney to, for Lon Cheney to get into the Wolfman. So, you know, that was that was like really something, uh, you know, over the top crazy. But Fred being two hours a day, three days a week, it wasn't too bad. It was a long day. And what got him, what was harder on him was wearing the big foam rubber suit to make him look big and bulky when he was a very tall, thin guy. Right. And, and, and we had the old style lights with the uh, the arc lights and this and that. So we had a very hot directional lights onto the soundstage into our scenes. So that made it very hot uh, in short doses. Oh, yeah. man. He, Fred, must, he must have been sweating his makeup off at that point. <laughs> yeah, he did. Now, Fred strikes me as the type of person that would be 100% professional and wouldn't complain too much to, uh, w- with this discomfort. Is, would that be an accurate thing to say? Yeah, no, he didn't complain at all. He was he was he was he was very professional, and uh, everybody was. You know, the whole it was it was a fun set. It was a, they, we worked really hard, but it was fun work, 
and it was uh, a lot of uh, lightheartedness, and it was, you know, it was it was good. It, I've been on a lot of sets, not too many bad ones. I've been on a few bad ones, but mo- you know, mostly good. But ours was ex- was extremely uh, extremely good. Very, yeah, I think good. I think what might surprise people is that <clears throat> there the monsters only had about seventy episodes, but mm. you had some really great guest stars on there. Maybe some of them were just at the start of their careers. You had Dom DeLuise, Paul Lind, Harvey Corman, for instance, and John Carradine as Mister Gateman. Was there any um, particular guest star that that you was that you had as a favorite? Well. The the list, like you said, you t- you touched on some good ones there, but you know you also had like Frank Gorshin, you know, before you did the Riddler, Faradil Dan, um, Don Rickles was wonderful, you know, as that happy, I think he was uh, something Happy Feet Dancing Studio, or I, I can't remember. We had a lot, <laughs> we had a, we had a lot of good people there: Jane Withers, uh, Charlie Ruggles, um, Richard Deacon from the Dick Van Dyke Show. Mike, for me, when what what I enjoyed when guest stars came on that I got excited about was when we had kids come visit. That would be, you know, I would have some some uh, some friends on the set, or have you know some kids to, to go to school with. Bill Mooney, who they actually wanted to do the show originally, they were looking for Bill to do it, and his mother turned it down because of the makeup factor. Um, I remember Peter Robbins, Elmer, who who came and uh, guest starred on the show. He was the voice of Charlie Brown. Oh uh, yeah, and, yeah. Oh. Yeah, you know, and I was a huge fan of the Charlie Brown. Uh, uh, Christmas and and Thanksgiving and, and Halloween specials. So to have R- Charlie Brown on the show to me that was really that was quite a thing. Brian Nash guest starred as well. He was uh, don't eat uh, please don't eat the daisies and uh, we had a lot of you know we had a lot of they had done a lot of um, there was a lot of the Leave It to Beaver kids had come on the set. They would hire them as well because they had been working with the producers before. So I saw a lot of familiar faces. I told you this before. For me, it was so great running home from school and turning on the television because you mentioned Bill Moomy. It mm-hmm. was so great to turn on television, get WUAB from Cleveland because it was lost in space and then back to back episodes of the Munsters, which is how I, I learned about those shows. Um, was there a favorite episode uh, that you had for the Munsters? Well, the there were several uh i always enjoyed whenever the munster coach was utilized because uh you know it was a cool car or the coolest car on television uh i was a friend with george barris you know and i enjoyed that very much but as far as the favorite episodes god there's so there's really a there's a lot there's a lot of good ones uh zombo comes to mind because of louis nye uh and the idea of having a tv host that i think is a real guy was very funny the Hot Rod Herman episode where we introduced yeah. the Dragula, which is the second, you know, the second car for us and the coolest car. We're at the drag strip. I enjoyed that very much. Um, uh, the Eddie's nickname where I grew a full length beard and <laughs> had to had to go see Dr. Dudley, Paul Lind. I think it's one of the funniest scenes of all time when when Paul Lynn looks out the wind, looks out the peephole and sees Herman reading a magazine, and I'm sitting next to him with a paper bag over my head, and <laughs> and he wonders how bad my face must be if he has to cover it with a paper bag. Now you mentioned some really great things. It's a good segue to get us to where we are. We're mm-hmm. going to uh, time travel from 1964 now to 2022, where you mentioned Zombo, and of course one of my favorites is the Tin Can Man from the the Monsters. Yeah. Which Rob Zombie, being a huge fan of the Monsters, used the Monster Coach in his video for Drag um, for Dragula. song Dragula, and these great iconic moments in this movie. So we've had a chance to to see it. We we like it very much. Yep. 
it's everything we expected from Rob Zombie and the Munsters. It's colorful. It's campy. Oh, it's beautiful. It's kitschy. The, we think that the they did a good job acting. How how did Rob wind up approaching you to be the voice of the Tin Can Man? Uh, well, we Rob and I were hired by the Shout Factory, who which is they used to be Rhino Records, who is doing a lot of the re. Uh, issuing of a lot of old classic shows and we both did the um commentary for the blu-ray release back in december of 19 right before the pandemic and we oh. sat for a couple hours uh watching the movie talking like this in real time as the movie's airing you know talking about scenes and stuff and uh we had i had i had met him briefly about 10 years before uh in philadelphia at a concert but this was the first time we actually sat and chatted for a while and i was very uh very happy to, to have that few hours. And uh, afterwards, you know, I kind of mentioned to him, I said, you know, if you ever need a Munster presence in any of your movies, you know, keep me in mind. And then we exchanged numbers and such. And then uh, the pandemic hit. And then, you know, nothing really happened. And un unbeknownst to me, he, um, I kept in contact with him and I told him I was in Connecticut. And I said, don't you have a house in Connecticut? And he goes, yeah. And I said, well, I'm about... 50 miles from where you're 30 miles from where you were and i'd love to bring my munster coach over and he goes oh yeah but you know bring it on over so when i went over and unloaded the car and we went for a cruise he had just gotten back from hungary now i thought he'd been over um location scouting but apparently he'd actually been over secretly filming and uh, and had completed the movie or at least the uh, the main the, the main stuff of the movie and that's kind of how it all came down the pike and then he uh wanted to have a participate participation of of me and pat and he had the voiceover uh, situations for us to do so i was very happy to do it and it worked out really well and i actually only watched the first 15 minutes of the movie today right before i got on the, the air with you guys um my girlfriend is in new jersey and she couldn't come visit me this weekend because she got COVID. She's, she's better now. She's not, you know, nothing serious. But the idea that we were going to watch the movie together kind of fell by the wayside. So we, my friend had it, and I wanted to see the first 15 minutes. I watched it up until um, Herman is born or Herman is comes to life, and that's when I stopped. So up to that point, I loved the um, Nosferatu, and I and I love Sherry Moon as Lily, and uh, the 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 characters. It's all good. It's all very visual. It's all very good. But I have a feeling it really picks up once uh, Jeff Daniel Phillips gets into the mix of things. So, Butch, this has been really great talking to you. What would you like the legacy of the Munsters to be? Oh gosh, I think um, I think it's just it's a, a, a great great memories of a time gone by. Uh, but yet still holding on to, you know, family values and quality entertainment, a simpler time, uh, a fonder time, and uh, just, uh, you know, good, simple comedy that, that, will, that, that is literally uh, stands the test of time. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree with you more. It's certainly a fond memory of my childhood. I, as I mentioned earlier, I loved running home and being able to, to watch it uh, after school. It's one of my all-time favorite sitcoms. It's stayed with me forever, and uh, it's just been a, a wonderful gift, I think, over time. Thank you so much for joining us today. We know you're a busy guy. Where can fans um, find out where they can meet you and uh, follow your exploits? 
Well, this is a pretty long, extensive address, so you might want to have your listeners and fans get a, a pen and paper out. And those of those that can't, it's Munsters.com. <laughs> <laughs> and they can get merchandise, and they can see where you're making appearances and meet you in person and and uh, just have a great time with, with Butch Patrick, huh? <laughs> Absolutely. It's simple. It's easy. I've owned it for 30 years, and it's... Uh, and I, and I love the fact that uh, people are still um, as excited about the show and as happy with the show and still watching it as they did 58 years ago. So I'm very blessed. All right. Thanks you for joining us at Area 51 and a half. Safe travels, my friend. Bye-bye. Thank you. Before we get into anything, here is your spoiler alert. <coughs> spoiler alert. <coughs> spoiler alert. <coughs> spoiler alert. <coughs> Okay, Nick, now we have seen The Monsters. What are your thoughts on it? I enjoyed it thoroughly. Um, for me, a lot of the enjoyment came from just the art of the film, the way it was shot, the color palettes that were used, even some of the art that was used in the background, which we'll, we'll talk about that in a minute, but it was a very visually delicious film. I agree with that. I mean, I love the sets. I loved how he made this whole village in Transylvania where the Count and Lily live and Herman is created. That, speaking of that scene with Richard Brake, it was so rich in the set design. Yeah. And, and it was just a, a visual feast. And watching Richard Brake be hammy and chew the scenery is delightful. I I mean, I'll be honest with you. Richard Brake is one of those actors I would watch just recite the phone book. Because <laughs> I know he would just murder it. But he, he's so good in everything he does. One of the, Just a quick sidebar. One of the biggest treats I got was actually in The Mandalorian when Richard Brake showed up as an Imperial officer. I was like, oh my god, that's amazing. But... He was so good. And he also played uh, Count Orlock. Yeah. And, which was and, cool. Which actually speaks to the point that Rob Zombie didn't have a big budget for this. Yeah. He... So as we're watching it, you're noticing that the actors, the main actors, are actually doubling up, playing a bunch of other characters. And I think that that was actually one of the things that I did really enjoy about that, is watching them do that kind of comedic shtick where it's an ensemble piece and they really are getting their their teeth into it. I would agree with that. Uh, and yes, it definitely was an ensemble piece. And I, I honestly, I do love ensemble films because you have these actors who are on the same footing as each, as each other and you're watching them play off of each other on this very same level, right? Yeah. It's not like, it's not even like the Avengers where you have... Robert Downey Jr., and then below him you have Chris Evans and Mark Ruffalo, and then below him you have Jeremy Renner and Scarlett Johansson. These actors are all very much on the same level, and they're playing to that. Yeah, yeah, and I really think that the story that Rob created is really kind of a fantastic one, because I showed it to my mother. She, she loves the monsters as well. And the thing of it is, like, she kept saying throughout the movie, oh, I wondered how Herman was created. Oh, I wonder how they met. Oh, I wonder, you know, so she kept, Rob Zombie had answered these questions. Now, maybe some fans would disagree with the story. Maybe they, they had a different idea, but this is what he gave us. And it speaks to those questions that we've had ever since the 1960s. I agree with that. Um, it, it was very much a, all things considered, it was still very much a Rob Zombie 
the film. Yeah, it's but got it, that aesthetic. But it was his first shot at a family film, which was a really neat thing. Yeah. But even if you look at it, there's still all of the um, homages and all of the... Uh, Little Easter eggs. Yeah, yeah, but like if you look at... There's stuff in there that's straight up De Palma. Yeah. Which is not something you would normally see in a family movie. Well, you see the influences that he had. Like, one of the criticisms that I heard was that somebody was criticizing the color palette. And I was sitting there thinking, have you never seen a Jallo film? Because that is completely what Jallos are all about, are those colors. Yeah, and if you look at even the Creepshow movies, like, some of the like some of this movie looked like it would, it would fit in very well with the Creepshow movies. Yeah, Jeff Daniel Phillips has always been saying about it's basically a cartoon brought to life. Yeah, exactly. And it really did have that look. Now, going back to some of the art that was used in the film as, as set pieces, man, I want some of that on my wall. That one yeah. that one poster of Herman from his show, Yeah, I want that. Where it says Yowza and yeah. the electric shock. Yeah. yeah, and I want a print of that for my wall. That is amazing stuff. It's astounding. And you just, you look at this little Halloween village that he sort of created. And to my mind, it's probably one of the best Halloween villages I've seen since Tim Burton's A Nightmare Before Christmas. Yeah, yeah, I can I can agree with that. Um, and some some of the character designs as well were just that uh, that zombie we see at the start of the movie. Yeah, that was killer. Yeah, and and Herman's backup band, right? The, yeah, just the way the guys are wailing on the guitars and everything like that. The 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 head bob and I, I look at that and I think that is such a really rich makeup job. It's a beautiful costume. It's it's really gets into the rock and roll heart of yeah. Rob Zombie, and it's just a nice tableau and picture to look at i agree with that um and just looking at our our main three cast uh sherryman zombie looked fantastic as lily jeff daniel phillips looked great and honestly daniel roebuck was he looks so good as as the count and honestly out of the three of them they all did a good job but he channeled oh my god i know so let's talk about that for a second so first and foremost a lot of people for some reason complain about sherry moon zombie as an actress i think she's fantastic my when she did lily she did her very best to channel yvonne de carlo as well as giving it her own spin and that it it was Fantastic! Yeah, was, I loved it. If we're gonna be, um, if we're gonna reflect what people's reservations were about it, I can go back to my mother. Again. Yeah, okay. My mother loved Yvonne De Carlo, and right. she her favorite character is Lily. First question she asked me, uh, besides, is that his real name, Rob Zombie? Is that? <laughs> and I said that is his his legal name, Mom. That's what he performs under. Uh, I said, but that is his wife. That is Sherry Moon Zombie, who is playing Lily. The two things that my mother said about it was, one, she's very beautiful, and two, she's doing a really good job. Because, as my mother said, there's nobody that is going to be able to match Yvonne DiCarlo. No, absolutely not. Sherry Moon knows that, Mm -hmm. but she takes the spirit of it and then makes it her own. And you can see that in the mannerisms that she's doing. You can see that in the facial expressions. And it's the same with Jeff Daniel Phillips. You are not going to match... Fred Gwynn's baritone voice. No. You're not going to match Fred Gwynn's kind of mastery of acting. But he nails Herman's guffaw. He gets the spirit of Herman. 
it's this wonderful jokiness that you were laughing so hard at between that scene where he first meets the Count, soon to be Grandpa, right? And they're screaming at each other from the the castle. Oh turret, my God, I love that! And then they continue on doing it, and I will always remember. And I even said this. I I, I sent a message to to Jeff Daniel Phillips, and I said I I can't. Every time it cracks me up. I don't know why. There's certain things in certain movies that happen mm-hmm. that crack me up each and every time. And it's when he first meets Lily and then he closes the door and you hear from the yeah. behind the door, Herbie's got a date! Oh my God, that was so funny. <laughs> it, it was it was really an interesting thing watching. I want to talk about Daniel Roebuck in a second. Yeah. But it was very interesting. I think they Jeff Daniel Phillips and Sherman Zombie. Fantastic chemistry. But that... Also comes down to the fact that they've worked together yeah, before. And yeah. Rob Zombie uh, does love his troop of actors. Well, every now, actor does. I mean, yeah. you look, Tim Burton's got his stable. Martin Scorsese is always using Leonardo DiCaprio. I mean, this is not new. So so that complaint is completely irrelevant. Well, I, I mean, I wasn't making a complaint. No, no, I'm just talking yeah, about yeah, to people yeah, that yeah, do, right? Yeah. Um, see, my only, re- my only regret as a fan and a watcher of Sherryman Zombie is that she hasn't worked with other directors. I would love to see her work with other... Actually, one director I would love to see her work with is Tarantino, because I think she would fit right into his movies. I could see that. But I digress. The Jeff Daniel Phillips, to me, I think he put enough of his own spin on Herman to make it his own. And it's the same thing with Sherryman Zombie. They made those characters their own, and they made them looked. They made them look very good. And but Daniel Roebuck though Daniel now you mentioned in a previous episode that Daniel Roebuck knew Al Lewis. Yes. Yeah. So obviously he knew him well enough to just kind of channel him that way because holy crap he was Al Lewis. But he channels him the same way that Zachary Quinto channel, uh, channeled Spock. Right. right? The same right. way that Carl Urban channeled DeForest Kelly. Right. Like the, the, there's certain characters um, that you have to be able to channel that with because you're not going to be able to accept it in any other way. And I think that that was the challenge that Daniel Roebuck had with playing the Count, is that Al Lewis's voice is so unique, his mannerisms were so unique, that that is what made Grandpa Munster. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. The only thing I would say that that would not be the thing in is if they'd done like something like 1313 Mockingbird Lane, where it's a more updated one, right. and then you have a Grandpa who can kind of toy with a different persona. Yeah, and they, they made that completely their own project. Yes, I'll did. be honest with you, I really love 1313 oh, Mockingbird so Lane. Oh, so good. I really wish it had been more than just a pilot because I thought that the story was logical in that. Yep. Butch was going to actually appear later on as Eddie's new Scoutmaster, which right. would have been fantastic. Thought they had a great cast. It was a great concept. Why NBC didn't put faith in it, I don't know. Can't say. But here we are now. So Rob Zombie has brought it back into being what we all know as the monsters. That, yep. And honestly, he captures the spirit of it with the story. It is kooky. It is colorful. It's campy. Well, that, and that's the thing. It feels like they took a 1960s sitcom. Didn't They didn't update it. They just took the 60s sitcom and made it now. Yeah, and at first I thought that the story fell flat at the end. However, when I rewatched it with my mom... Right. I now go back and correct myself on that because the story is them moving to Mockingbird Heights. Right. And I understand that because what he has done is 
when you, I mean, you, you don't know what to expect when, on your first watch. So by the time you get to your second watch, you understand it a little bit more. Right. And it doesn't feel as jarring as it once did because the whole idea is that he's now bringing it up to when the sitcom starts. Okay, that's fair. Um, I've only I've only watched it the one time. Yeah. Um, and again, I enjoyed it. I, I had the problem with the ending, but you know what? I'll go back and rewatch it and see yeah, if I can... Yeah, it feels different on a second watch. All honestly. right, I'll check that out. I'll check that because out. Because, that, again, that light bulb goes off. Aha, because he ends it with that classic introduction from this from season yeah, two. Yeah, 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 yeah. When they, when Herman crashes through the door. And, yeah. Yeah, okay. I can, I can see that. I can see that. Yeah, I'll definitely go back and give that another watch. Yeah, now let's talk a little bit about some of the cameos, some of the Easter eggs. Right. You have Dee Wallace, who has become a Rob Zombie staple as yes. the voice of Transylvania. What was really neat, of course, is Pat Priest, who played Marilyn after Beverly Owens left. Yep. And she is the voice of Transylvanian Air. So, you know, when they're flying from Transylvania to California and you hear the, the, the voice over the intercom, that's Pat Priest. And, of course, we have Cassandra Peterson oh as God. Barbara Carr, who uh, played, well, who is Elvira. Yeah. Mistress of the Dark. And but on top of that, our guest, Butch Patrick, playing the Tin Can Man. Yep. What a great idea to have him playing the Tin Can Man because here we have Eddie Munster now marrying his parents. Yeah, wasn't that cool? And the lines were so funny because He's a robot, and he stutters, and Herman gives him a whack, and then he starts he starts malfunctioning and getting on fire, and that, that lies, could someone call 911, please? <laughs> um, another another uh, actor I enjoyed in it um, was George Garcia. Right, as Loop. Yeah, I, I, I always loved him in, in Lost, mm-hmm. so, and it's... I haven't really seen him do anything since Lost, so it was kind of nice to see him in something, especially something this kind of cool and kitschy and kind of cheesy, because it gave, it allowed us to see a, a little bit of a different side. Yeah. Um, but yeah, him, Richard Brake. Uh, I don't remember the name of the actor that plays Lester, but geez, Lester was fun as well. Oh yeah, I and mean, Lester actually plays a big part in the. The, the plot of it, right? Yeah, he does. He does. Um, it, it's his antics that kind of uh, is the kind of the, the thing that kind of gets the plot going. Yeah. And gets them moving to Mockingbird Heights. But the, the thing with the visualization of, of a movie like this and, and Rob Zombie's artistry, period, is that it makes you want to watch it again because he does throw in all these visual feasts that... On second, third, fourth viewings, you're getting a different experience because you're noticing something you hadn't noticed before. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Even if it's just something as like a flurry of rats scurrying across the bottom. For instance, Sylvester McCoy as Igor. Great oh performance. God. I didn't notice when we first watched it because I, I knew who Igor was. Igor's the bat. Like yeah. in, in the original series, it's a pet bat, whatever. Grandpa's little bat assistant. Who, when they announced that he was playing Igor, I went, is that going to be the bat? Is he going to turn into the bat? And, of course, he does. Yes. But what I didn't notice on the first watch is his costume. He's got bat wings underneath the sleeves oh, to the vest. That's cool. I didn't notice that. Yeah, exactly. So you notice these little things, right? Yeah. And that's what that's what makes it fun. And this is a fun, family-friendly Halloween treat. Yeah. Honestly, and, and that's kind of the thing is I probably wouldn't watch this any other time of the year than Halloween, but it it's got 
it's really cool because I love Rob Zombie's style. I love the fact that he takes his kind of neon nightmare from House of a Thousand Corpses and drops drops it into a family film. Yeah, and and it works. Yes, absolutely. And you know, from rock and roll to Disney, here we, oh, go. Here we go. Another rock star. What uh, the other movie that came out just in time to kick off the Halloween season? The long-awaited sequel. Very long. Hocus Pocus Two. The Sanderson sisters are back, and they are back in style. You so. Know, uh, yeah, and you know, let's face it, Bette Midler, Sarah Jessica Parker, Kathleen and Jimmy, as this trio, just have so much good chemistry together. They do, and it's very easy to buy them as these witchy sisters, because one, I mean, I love Bette Midler, but for her to transition into a witch is way too easy. Like, way <laughs> too easy. I can buy that so well. And it's the same thing with Kathleen and Jimmy. And the same thing with Sarah Jessica Parker. They work so well together as these three witches. And they you, you just buy it. Well, and the thing of it is, like, from that from the, the sequel to the first movie, you have sort of seen them well, they've had close to thirty is twenty nine years. They had years, like yeah. close to thirty years to marinate these characters that they just slipped right back into. I know. But they slipped back into it like a fine wine had aged. Yeah, like I I have to wonder if Bette Midler just kicks it at home pretending to be Winifred Sanders. Because <laughs> it was way, way like I have seen like you've seen um movies with huge gaps in between the timeline and you see Inconsistencies yeah. with characters. Like I'm, I'm thinking Tron Legacy, Legacy specifically. Right. Um, but with, with with Hocus Pocus too, these girls, these women did not skip a beat. No, it was fantastic. And at first, I'm going to be honest. At first, the first part of it was a bit draggy, and I thought, oh Lord, no. You, yeah, you, I agree you've with had, that. You've had 30 years to to do this, and. It, uh, I hope I, it. I hope it's going to get better. I almost checked out, but I stayed because those three had not shown up yet. But when they do, when they do, bam! The party start, and man, the party starts with a musical number, and I yeah. loved it. Okay, I agree with you on the first part of the film. I was sitting there going, "Oh no, we're dealing with another craft legacy here." Um, but when the Sanderson sisters show up. It is so good, and some of the set pieces that they 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 used here, like the whole thing in the garage, that was fin. That was great. I loved that, and the whole using the salt circle and um. Oh, I, and casting a spell on the entire community. I mean, in the first one, they did that too. I mean, it's it's kind but of not it's, to, it's not beat for beat the same thing, but they they do have those those moments that they take from the original and reuse in this. Yes. But the dance sequence that the crowd does going in search of the ancestor of the mayor reverend that had betrayed them. I just thought it was fantastic. It and, was. And as you're watching this, we mentioned about Easter eggs when we were talking about the monsters. There are so many great little Easter eggs in this, including uh, at some point somebody is, it's very meta, somebody is, is watching, watching Hocus Pocus and it's the, the Marshall siblings, right? Yeah, yeah. Oh Which my was God. one of the funniest moments in Hocus Pocus. You know, yeah. ain't you broads a little old for trick-or-treating? Oh my God, I love that. They call me master. I mean, that, I love that scene in the original Hocus Pocus so to to honor the late marshals by giving them that 
uh, cameo yeah. in within the the television is is just a, a treat. But there were all those other Easter eggs that I started applauding, like. As you're watching the crowd, you see a woman dressed as the mother dressed in the Madonna thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, I okay. So I got to talk about Bette Midler in this because, again, she kills it as Winifred Sanders. Mm-hmm. She is brilliant in this role. It is definitely a role that is. That I, I don't know how she workshopped it. But it is a role that she is probably my favorite Bette Midler role. And that says a lot because Bette Midler has some fantastic films out there. Oh, yes, she does. But even then, Kathleen and Jimmy, I, th- this is my favorite uh, Kathleen and Jimmy. Well, the original Hocus Pocus. I, I'm, I'm going to say I liked Hocus Pocus too. It doesn't beat out the first one. No, and, and if I can interrupt just for a minute. Part of that is the heart of the story. I, if I have one criticism of it, I did kind of find the trio of the girls being kind of the the, the crux of it a little flat-ish. Not that the, the girls did a bad job, but it didn't have the same je ne sais quoi as the brother, sister, and love yeah. interest. Yeah, I, I can agree with that as well. Um, just because I felt the in the original, you, you had... Those 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 kid characters, I felt like they were more fleshed out. Yeah. Than our main characters in this movie. Yeah, and and they they had something at stake that these didn't feel quite as severe. Having yeah, I felt like they didn't really have that same tie to the Sanderson's yeah. that the original cast did. Mind you, they did a good job, served the story well. Yeah. And they they did a fantastic job. So I agree with that. Um, and seeing Doug Jones back, I <laughs> I do love me some Doug Jones and the fact that he had some more uh, more Bill, lips. Yeah, oh Billy my, Butcher. Oh son. my God! Did you notice when his his mouth is stitch closed? Did you notice that the stitches spell kill? No, I didn't notice. I that. was looking at. It, I'm like, do those spell kill? You know, we're gonna have to check that out and yeah. see. I was like, because like the one looks like a K, and then there's an I, and then there's a little stylization yeah. to the last two. But you know, you mentioned about Bette Midler, and you mentioned about the singing. Yeah. Bette Midler has really one of the best voices ever. She does. Now, a lot of times when singers age, they lose their voice. Yes. This woman has not lost a note. I would agree with that. Um, and that it's just so much fun. And not only that, her voice doesn't sound at all bad. It, it, it's, it's almost like a day has not passed with these women, you know, age wise. Seems that way. And I just love it. And I'm going to try and em- emulate it. She really j- just that that moment that we all say that women like to dress up with. And especially if they're Winifred, go, boo <laughs> yep, she, like she still got it, man. Oh, yeah. Okay, you know what? Screw that. She never lost it. She never lost it. She never yeah. lost it. Yeah. Um. It was it was a lot of fun. It was a good way to spend the first night of Halloween season of spooky season. Yeah. And I, I would probably well not probably I'm going to revisit this movie again. It will probably become part of my yearly Halloween watch along. Yeah. Because I now want to watch it in tandem with the original. Yeah. Now that is one thing that I noticed. Now this is being nitpicky. This is just being a little bit controversial, a little bit devil's advocate, if you will. The only thing I wonder, we've had 30 years of this being a cult classic. Yeah. Hocus Pocus. Just you know. A wonderful movie in and of its own right. 
and now we have Hocus Pocus 2. It kind of feels a little bit like some of the specialness is a little lost. So I'm going to actually compare this to something that's really out left field, but it's kind of the same thing. Arrested Development. Arrested Development originally had those first three seasons, and then it got cancelled, and then there was always talk about making a fourth season. Always talk about making a fourth season. They're going to make a fourth season. They're going to make a fourth season. Something's going to happen where they're going to make a fourth season. And it, because they always talked about it, similar to how they always talked about a Hocus Pocus sequel, it did kind of add to the specialness, because people talked about it, right? And then they made the fourth season, and the specialness was gone. Yeah, the spe- the specialness, the the cult feeling of that TV series out the window. Yeah, at least for me, at yeah. least for me, I'm not t- I'm not going to speak to other Arrested Development fans about that. But to me, that specialness is gone. Now, am I saying that's going to happen with Hocus Pocus two and the original movie? No, but I feel it does kind of give it that l- a little bit of danger yeah. to that. Yeah, because I, I sort of going to compare it to Top Gun and Maverick. Don't do another Maverick because. You know, then all of a sudden that specialness is gone. It was a very logical start of his career, end of his career kind of story with all that stuff in between. They fit nicely together. Yeah. Hocus Pocus and Hocus Pocus 2 fit nicely together. It's a little forced to fit in there together, but it does fit nicely together. But you are losing now a little bit of that cult status. Well, and that's the that's the other thing, right? Part of that cult status is always wanting more, right? Yeah, I mean, it's the same problem with the Rocky Horror Picture Show and Shock Treatment. Although well, Shock Treatment just failed. Yeah, the 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 less said about Shock Treatment, the better. Yeah. But a little bit of a sidebar there. But however, I don't feel the need to want for a sequel after Hocus Pocus 2. I don't need a Hocus Pocus 3. Yeah, I you, felt that, that like this closes the door very nicely on the story. But the stinger at the end does open it up for a possible sequel. So, and uh, one of the things that I loved about this film was Kathy and Jimmy's Roombas. Yeah. So, <laughs> for me, as a millennial who grew up watching cartoons in the 90s, the first thing that popped into my mind was actually Reboot. Because in Reboot, they had these pads that they would fly around on. And Kathy and Jimmy flying around on the Roombas reminded me of that, which I thought was cool. I know that was probably not the intention, but it just made me think of that. No, but there is a scene where the Roombas are, are getting, like, they're vacuuming up some salt that is holding the, the women at bay. <laughs> she, she made them sentient. Yeah. I loved it. But it's also a throwback to those 90s Disney movies, which this was one of them. Now, yeah. I, if I was to go back in time, I would slap the fool that put Hocus Pocus out in July. I agree with that. Against Jurassic Park. I agree with that. Like There are movies out there that are specific to a specific time, but they throw it out in the middle of summer. Gremlins came out in June. Yeah. And that is that takes place during Christmas. And by, as far as I'm concerned, is a Christmas film. Um, but that's kind of the thing is like you have these movies that take place at this certain time. Halloween. Rob Zombie's Halloween. They released that in August. Why would you release a Halloween movie? A movie called Halloween, Halloween in August. Yeah. I, it's, it's just a, a missed marketing opportunity. Why would you have a movie called Hocus Pocus that takes place 
during Halloween that has all the Halloween uh, stuff and put it in July. And speaking of missed marketing opportunities, I, I'm going to make a guess. I'm not going to say that this is the way it is. I'm just going to make a guess. Somebody at Netflix was smart enough to not go head-to-head with Hocus Pocus 2. They released the monsters a few days ahead. Right. Okay? Then Hocus Pocus 2 comes in. So everybody can check out the monsters. Become number one in Netflix. Yep. Hocus Pocus 2 comes out on the Friday. Everybody loses their mind. Fans of both get to see both. Fans of one or the other, whatever. Missed opportunity on Netflix Park, though. Wednesday... The Tim Burton Wednesday, Adam's Family, doesn't come out until November. Yeah, I saw that. But it does come out on a Wednesday. <laughs> yeah. So at least there's that. At least there's that. But I mean, like, if you are going to compete with Disney Plus streaming, you're a streaming network, and you want to compete with Disney Plus streaming, you are competing with the one holiday that Disney has found a way to bloody own, and that's Halloween. Yeah. You need to compete with all of your ammunition. And Wednesday should have come out in October. I agree with that. I mean, I I get it. Adam's Family is technically not a Halloween thing. But at the end of the day... Well, the Munsters technically aren't Halloween either. Yeah, exactly. But at the end of the day, it fits the season. So why not release it during the season? I don't know. I I agree with you on that. Yeah. Well, Aliens, like I said, this has been a fantastic first episode for our Season 2 kickoff. All month long, we're going to be talking about so many fun things. And at the end, Nick, we get to do a Halloween special. Which, by the way, I am so excited for. Speaking of excitement, Nick, we were so excited for this episode, we didn't tell our aliens how to get a hold of us, so please do that right now. I will. So you can find us on Instagram, TikTok, and Twitter at the area 51 h And of course, you can find us on Facebook by searching for area 51 and a half. Thank you for landing your spacecraft here at Area 51 and a half, and we will see you again in two weeks. Nick, what a great show that was. That I was loved awesome. talking to Butch Patrick. What a nice guy. He is so cool. And I just I love watching that.